0: I will be reading to you today from 2 Chronicles chapter 2, the entire chapter. And it reads as, Solomon recruited 70,000 men as carriers, 80,000 as stone cutters in the mountains, and 3,600 supervisors over them. Then Solomon sent word to Haram, the king of Tyre, saying, Deal with me as you did with my father, David, when you sent him cedars to build a house to dwell in behold i am about to build the house for the name of adonai my god and to de- and to dedicate it to him for burning fragrant incense before him for regular arrangement of the bread of the presence and for burnt offerings every morning evening and as well as on shabbatot which is what anya talked about new moons and more deem of adonai elohenu upon israel this is forever the house that i'm about to build will be great because our god is greater than all the gods but who was able to build him a house since the heavens even the highest heavens cannot contain him who then am i that i should build him a house except to burn incense before him so now Send me a man skilled to work in in gold and silver, bronze and iron, and in purple, crimson, and blue yarn, and experience in engraving to work in Judah and Jerusalem with the skilled men who are with me, whom my father David provided. Send me also cedar, evergreen, algum, logs from from Lebanon, for I know that your servants are skilled in cutting timber in Lebanon. Indeed, my servants will work with yours to prepare an abundance of timber for me, because the house that I am about to build and will be large and magnificent. Now behold, I will give to your servants, the woodsmen, who cut the timber, 20,000 measures of ground wheat, 20,000 measures of barley, 20,000 vats of wine, and 20,000 vats of oil. Then King Haram of Tyre replied in a letter that he sent to Solomon, Because Adonai loves his people, he has made you king over them. Then Haram continued, Blessed be Adonai, the God of Israel, who made heaven and earth. He gave King David a wise son endowed with insight and understanding who will build a house for Adonai and a royal house for himself. So now I am sending Huram, Huram, Huramabai, a skilled man endowed with understanding who is the son of a woman from the daughters of Dan and whose father was a man from Tyre, a man skilled to work in gold and silver, bronze and iron, stone and wood and purple and blue, fine linen and crimson and to engrave all kinds of engraving and who can execute any design given to him. He will work with your skilled men and with the skilled men of my Lord, David, your father. Now let my Lord send to his servants the wheat and barley, the oil and wine he has promised. And we will cut as many logs from Lebanon as much as you need and float them in rafts by sea to Jaffa. You can then take them up to Jerusalem. Solomon counted all the foreign men in the land of Israel like the census that his father David had taken, and 153,600 were found. He appointed 70,000 of them to carry loads, 80,000 to quarry stones in the mountains, and 3,600 overseers to supervise the people working.
1: Thank you, Sharon. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. You know, sometimes... um, God requires holy chutzpah from us. Seriously, chutzpah simply means uh, gutsiness, courage. You know, Yeshua talks about that in the parable of the man um, who knocked on his neighbor's door at midnight uh, saying, I've got some people who have come from out of town and I need to take care of them. I don't have anything, so would you please give me some basic things that I can uh, feed them with? And the neighbor said, "Absolutely not. I'm asleep. My family's asleep. Everybody's asleep. Go away." And uh, and his friend continued to bug him, knock on the door, and and uh, until he opened the door, saying. Um, I'm going to open the door and give you what you need, not because you're my friend and I like you, but because you're bugging me. <laughs> and Yeshua said that's how we're supposed to pray. So um, that's how I've been doing this week. You know, there are all time there. Are, we all have times when it seems like um, our ability to Run and not be weary is not quite there. Do you know what I mean? And this has been one of these wonderful weeks. For me personally, God opened doors um, to encourage a couple of uh, ministry friends who were struggling, wondering what to do, and um, we visited, prayed together, and what came out of my mouth was what they needed to hear. And uh, that was on two separate occasions. And then also Wednesday, uh, I was on KLTT sharing about the March of Remembrance. By the way, you all know when the March of Remembrance is? April 19th. 19th, You have to remember the March of Remembrance. (laughs) April 19th at 1 o'clock. And so I was sharing about that and what the Shoah, what the Holocaust means. And... um, um, also talking as well about the Arab-Israeli conflict. I mean, uh, two, th- two topics that could have taken um, many, many sessions to, to talk about. But in any, any, in any event, very productive. And then um, Thursday night, I did something stupid. I'm not quite sure what it was. And uh, it's not the first time I've done something. And the result is this uh, walking stick um and so you know what happens when when you are not quite feeling up to snuff uh you begin to see a demon behind every bush and uh and see uh spiritual warfare here there and everywhere and that is there however what keeps us sane is not preoccupation with finding all kinds of demons here, there, and everywhere, and tackling them uh, as if we really can, effectively. But what sustains us is the simple fact that we know who Allah kiseh, who is in the throne. And so, you know, for each one of us, we have a sense of mission, sense of vision, some kind of an idea hopefully we all have that, some kind of of an idea of what it is that God has for us. And if you don't, let me encourage you to do what Yeshua told his disciples to do, and that is pound on his door until he opens your eyes, unclogs your ears, speaks to you in a way that you understand What are his marching orders? We all have to have that, right? Amen? Amen? Amen. So here uh, in this passage that Sharon read to us, Solomon had received marching orders. Um, As we saw last Shabbat, he received it from or through his father, David. And um, as I mentioned last Shabbat, David often has a bum rap. When you think of David, what do you think of? Well, I would say most of us think of David and Goliath, or we think of David and Bathsheba, as if nothing else is there about David's life. Um, if you have not read these chapters, the last chapters of Chronicles and the first few chapters, excuse me, the last few chapters of First Chronicles, and these early chapters of 2 Chronicles, let me encourage you to do that, because you get a, a totally different picture uh, of a man who had suffered a great deal, and yet his passion to do what God called him to do has not dimmed. You know, we mentioned last Shabbat that David, because of the sin of Bathsheba, and, and the connection with the murder of Uriah, uh, had a uh, a tsunami come blow into his family, Uh, daughter raped by one of the sons, one of the sons kills the other son, the second son then rebels against the father, and on and on and on for a number of years, and yet... The vision that David had to build a house for God continued through all those 19 years. Why? Was it because David was infatuated with himself and the notion that I'm going to leave a great, wonderful legacy and I'm going to build this massive uh, cathedral? Well, they didn't have cathedrals back in those days. No, David had a burning passion for God. I mean, that is what really defines his life. It's not his sin or even the real bright spot with Goliath. It's a fact that what defined his life throughout his life was a passion for God. Um, if you were to define David, if, if you were to put something on his gravestone, you would say something like, here is the man who, above all else, wanted to worship and praise God. And out of that came the desire to build a temple for God. And and we're told that the Holy Spirit, again, remember that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, was alive and well before Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came, gave David pretty much almost looked like verbatim instruction, on what the temple was supposed to look like or and uh, he had written it down, given it to Solomon, collected massive amounts of material, um, gold in the amount of something like six uh, over six million pounds of gold, and then he collected all kinds of he recruited all kinds of individuals uh, huge task that he then presented to Solomon and as you can imagine from Solomon's perspective those are real big shoes to fill. You know here is Papa who is uh, passing on and uh, he defeated or God in him through him defeated all of Israel's enemies and um, David established, before Solomon came on the scene, David, in his mind, had a clear sense of what the worship of God needed to look like. By the way, when all was said and done, we're told that there are 288 musicians in the temple as part of the worship establishment. So for Solomon, who is a young fellow, we don't know exactly how old he is, but for Solomon, these are awfully big shoes, and pretty early on in his in his reign, he determines that he is going to take what was given to him and implement it. So we see that in verses one and two, um, Solomon recruited one hundred and fifty three uh, one hundred and fifty three thousand people for some real basic jobs. We'll talk about that in, in just a bit. But as you can imagine, this is going this is going to be a massive work of construction. Think about that. 153,000 people working on a on a project. It would be somewhat like what's been happening in Colorado and Wyoming and North Dakota where there's been the Um, oil and gas boom all of a sudden you have these large towns spring out of nothing in order to accomplish uh, the project of, of getting the oil and gas out of the ground. So what you see with Solomon is not that he is consumed with the work. I don't know about you but for me if I would see all that I my brain would be spinning every which way but loose, trying to figure out all the all the massive details. Um, but what you see with Solomon is what I hope happens to me and with each one of us that what is at, what receives the top billing is not the multitude of details or our ability or inability to carry out the task, but what fills. What is placed at the top of the list is a commitment for God, and we see that. Walk with me, if you would, through verse 3 to 5. Solomon sent his message to King Hiram of Tyre, and Tyre, by the way, is in southern Lebanon, in case you didn't know. As you did for my father David when you sent him cedar to build a palace for him. Then, then, park in verse. Let's park in verse four here for a minute. Now, I'm about to build a temple for the name of the of the Lord my God to dedicate to Him, for burning in, uh, fragrant incense before Him, for setting out the consecrated bread regularly to make burnt offerings every morning and every evening on the on the Shabbat on the new moon the appointed feast of, our, of the Lord our God. Now, in case you got lost in all those details, I, I wanted to tease some of this out. First of all, if you remember the phrase, the name of the Lord in Scripture is significantly, significantly different than Aaron or David or Floyd the name of the Lord represents who God is and his qualities and his power. Uh, King, King David often uses the expression, in the name of the Lord I did such and such. In Psalm 118 it speaks about how that in the name of the Lord he overcame his opposition, just like we we're singing today, uh, because we know that he who is in us is greater than he was in the world. So God's name, God's reputation, God's power receives top billing in Solomon's mind. And he wants to bring burning, uh, burning uh, fragrant incense. And if you remember that uh, during the time of the, the tabernacle and the temple, the altar of incense was directly before the Holy of Holies. If you recall that there was the, uh, the partition that separated the holy place from the holy of holies and the altar of incense was directly in front of the holy of holies. Very, very closely identified. So Solomon is saying, and, and a part of the picture here, he's saying what this is going to be about is not merely bricks and wood. Well, what this is going to be about is the worship of God. Then he speaks about the consecrated bread that um, our beloved King James describes as uh, the shoe bread, uh, which in Hebrew is lechem hapanim. Can you say lechem <laughs> hapanim? Literally the, the, the bread of the face. In other words, the, this table that has um, that had a number of loaves of bread on it, a couple of rows uh, of, of bread was a visual reminder, a symbol of the presence of God. In fact, as you, as you read that, particularly in Hebrew, you see that the phrase panim, face or presence, appears a, a number of times. So what this is about um, is not the, the uh, material... And that is so hard for us to get our arms around because we, we tend to associate God with God's house that is uh, spectacular. And when the external is not spectacular, then we tend to diminish the reality of the presence of God. And folks, I hope that every single Shabbat when you come, you come prepared to worship God and to hang out in His presence it's not about this drywall or or the the low ceiling or the odd configuration or even the people here folks it's about the fact that God almighty chooses to hang out with us Isaiah makes it very very plain that where the Lord states the following He, I who dwell in a high and lofty place am an eternal and I choose in high places I dwell in high places I also choose to dwell with those who have contrite and uh, contrite heart and lowly spirit. So if you come each Shabbat to worship God with that perspective what does the Lord say? He tells us that he will dwell with us, he will hang out with us. And it's my expectation, my prayer, that each one of us tunes into that each and every Shabbat when we come. Otherwise, you've just sat with a bunch of people and you have mouths a bunch of of songs and, and you have listened to somebody flap their gums and so on and so forth. As is the case for Solomon, it is the case for us that our being here is about the Lord's presence. And By the way, this also tells you that Solomon has a basic idea of what the Torah and the Torah's requirements are about. Where do you think he got it? He got it from his father David. So Solomon is confronted with this massive task of what it's going to be like to build a building for the Lord. Look at verse 5, then we skip over to verse 9. The temple I'm going to build will be great because our God is greater than all other gods. And and then in verse 9, skipping a portion of it, he, he, he says to Hiram, there must be plenty of lumber because the temple I build must be large and magnificent And so Solomon gets that, and he conveys that to King Hiram. Now, I just want to mention that all of us who are involved on the given Shabbat in planning and preparing for the service, yes, are busy with this, that, and the other. But I'll tell you that what defines what they do is the expectation that somehow we do what we do, but what really makes the difference is that God is going to come and show up. And I've heard the analogy uh, that it is somewhat like a person building uh, forms and then waiting for God to pour the concrete into it. In other words, the substance. That is what Solomon is expecting. He's expecting that this temple would be magnificent, first and foremost, because the God he worships is literally out of this world. Now, part of the picture is if you are serving God in any capacity, and by the way, I hope that that represents each and every person here, because Scripture tells us that if we worship God, if we are followers of Messiah, if we are born above from from the Spirit, by the Spirit, that worshiping God also means serving Him. It is impossible to, to worship God and not serve Him. Hebrew word, Eved Adonai, means a worshiper of God and a servant of God. And by the way, if you're not serving in the kingdom of God here or in some other capacity make it God's problem choose to pound on his door because you want to line up with that basic reality that all of us are his servants and my task, our task who are in leadership at Yeshua Tzion is not to do the work of the ministry as much as it is to equip you guys to do that. So part of the picture is you see that, you understand who God is, and you simply say, who am I to do this? Who am I to build a temple for God? God fills the entire universe. How on earth can we expect that he will be here in this little place? And then he repeats the same the same statement who am i that i should build him a house solomon has basic degree of humility here he realizes that the building of god's house will take place not because he is magnificent but because god is and folks sometimes we get that confused We get that confused because we get elevated in our own estimation and we think that we are cute and clever and our focus is on us or somebody else. We forget that the focus has to be not on us but on the Lord. So there are a couple of lessons. that There's another lesson I want to draw here. One is that you see both David and Solomon have the zeal for God to give God the best that is possible, the best that they have. Scripture refers to that as first fruits, that when the Israelite farmers were getting ready to harvest their crops, particularly the barley and the wheat, according to rabbinic tradition, they would come and select the best grains of of, uh, barley or wheat, they would tie a ribbon around them so that when actual harvest time would come, they would cut those and devote those to, to God. It would be the first ones in terms of time and also in terms of quality. And that's what God demands from us. First fruits, not leftovers. We saw last Shabbat from Malachi that when Israel got into the habit of giving God leftovers... Um, the message was loud and clear. What business do you have giving me your leftovers? Would you give that to your governor? Absolutely not. What we give the Lord cannot be an afterthought. Where we do this, that, that, the other... And then say, Oh, yeah, by the way, Lord, I, I just forgot. I needed to give you something. And I'm not just talking financially. Yes, finances is part of it. But obviously, the message of Scripture is giving God who we are. Paul describes that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where he speaks about the Macedonian believers. And he lauds them, he appreciates them by saying, not that so much that they gave a pile of stuff. He appreciates them because, A, they were poor and gave generously, even though they were poor. But what really defines the Macedonian believers as far as Paul was concerned was the fact that they first of all gave themselves to the Lord and said, Lord, here I am. Everything I have is yours. And out of that, they gave their time, their energy, their money, and so on and so forth. That has to be our perspective when we consider serving God. Now, I realize, folk, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to move from preaching to meddling here, so um, please give me chesed because we're all fellow strugglers here, Okay? None of us has achieved. However, part of reality is that we take care of us and our things and perhaps those close to us. And God and his business are somewhere down the line. Maybe number 10, 9 or 10 on the scale of 1 to 10. Solomon and David, both, particularly David, are open-hearted and open-palmed. They're not close-fisted. Why? Because they love the Lord, they want to worship Him, they want to see Him elevated. And that, by the way, is what the word exalt means. To exalt God simply means to see to it that He occupies center stage. Okay? That He's not somewhere in the background, but He's in the center stage of our life, and that's their commitment and because of that, David and Solomon now we're seeing that they are in process of building the temple, knowing full well their their inadequacies their their limitations um, and all of us understand that folks, all of us understand that God is so much greater and 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 We're confronted with our limitations, with our stuff, with our junk. But we give what we give of ourselves to the Lord because we love Him, not out of guilt and obligation. By the way, guilt and obligation are miserable motivators. So you give to the Lord out of a heart that loves him, that wants to know him more fully, that wants to see him exalted, elevated. And so how does the process come about? Well, what we see here is that um, Solomon recruits people from different, different types of society. First of all, we saw earlier that Solomon uh, recruited um, 153,000 non-Israelites, Gerim, uh, Gentiles who lived in Israel, to participate in some of the basic work, uh, caring and uh, preparing stone from the quarries. But then he turns to, to this fellow, Hiram, and he asks for help. Now, here's part of reality with Hiram, king of Tyre. Um, he was a pagan. He came from society that worshipped Baal and worshipped Ashtoreth, that scripture describes as abomination. In other words, uh, something Disgusting check it. And um by the way that was the society from which Jezebel came. Remember old Jezebel? Uh, so Hiram preceded her, but he was from the same the same area, the same kind of culture. And yet Solomon turns to him and asks for help. Verse 16, um Hiram says the following, we will cut logs from Lebanon that you will need and we'll float them in rafts by the sea down to Jaffa. Jaffa, by the way, is where modern-day Tel Aviv is. So they would basically be uh, uh, loggers who chop big logs and lash them together. You've seen that in, if you've seen old movies um, of logging camps, that's basically what they did. And um, and then Solomon's men, um, these carriers would take them then one form or another to to Jerusalem. Then there was something else too. They needed someone who would be the master contractor. And uh, back up to verse thirteen, Solomon said, uh, Hiram says, "Excuse me, I'm sending to you Huram Abi, a man of great skill." He is trained to work in gold and silver, bronze and iron, stone and wood and with purple and blue and crimson yarn and fine linen. He is experienced in all kinds of engravings and can execute any design given to him. He can work with your craftsmen and with those of my Lord, David, your father. I I, I don't know about you. I would have loved to have met Huramabi. This sounds like uh, our definition of a perfect worker. Um, someone who can take anything that you give him, any possible design, and convert it into a gorgeous reality. Um, and he can also work together and also work as a master contractor. We don't know exactly what the relationship is, but the point is, um, here again is a pagan king sending uh, someone who is half Israelite, half Tyrian, uh, Sidonian, and uh, who is coming to build God's house. Now that certainly doesn't fit our definition because it seems to be unequally yoked, except that Hiram has a basic sense of understanding who God is. Look with me at, at verse 11 of chapter 2. Hiram, king of Tyre, replied by letter to Solomon, because the Lord loves his people, he has made you their king. Now you want to say, Hiram, where did you get that? You certainly didn't get that in the temple of Ashtoreth or the temple of Baal. Again, he is one of these unusual uh, Gentiles like Jethro or Naaman who have a basic spiritual sense and understand something about the God of Israel. Then verse 12, he says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who made heaven and earth. Now notice that. This guy is a pagan. He worshiped Ashtoreth, the mama god, and Baal, the papa god. And yet, here he describes the God of Israel as the creator. And I really don't believe he's just being nice and polite and diplomatic. Um, he seems to understand something about the reality that, that the God of Israel is working and doing things. At the end of verse uh, 12 into 13. He has given David a wise son endowed with intelligence and discernment who will build a temple for the Lord and a palace for himself. By the way, remember last Shabbat we talked about this word with a couple of sounds in it, chokhmah. Remember? Um, That's used to describe Solomon here by Hiram. So somehow, This pagan king has a basic understanding of reality. That God loves Israel. That he's the creator. That he's the one who is working with David and with Solomon. And of of course, folks, reality is that, that this is not purely spiritual. There's obviously uh, commerce going on here, uh, sort of bartering, dickering. I'll do this, you do this. <clears throat> I'll give you the logs. You'll give me the, the wheat and uh, barley and wine and, and olive oil and so on. Uh, so that takes place. But the reality here is you have this massive, massive project. God brings together people of all kinds And they work together in collaboration. Building a house that has to be magnificent for God. Now you say, okay, this is lovely. This was um, uh, not quite 3,000 years ago. Where am I today? Well, part of reality is that Scripture describes you and I in a couple of different and apparently contrasting kinds of terms, that we're both God's building, and we're also workers together with God. Now, this is amazing. I want to park here for a while. First of all, um, we're told that you and I are God's building. Okay, So what does that look like? What does it look like that we're God's building? Well... Obviously, it's a lot more than than this and and other congregations and, and buildings and so on. It, first of all, begins with the spirit, what God is doing spiritually. And I wanted to go over a number of scriptures that define that, that hopefully would help us understand not just Solomon's temple, the temple that was built back then, but how you and I are part of what God wants to do today. First of all, in, in 1 Peter two five, you also, like living stones are built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Messiah Yeshua. Now, who is doing the building, folks? God. And you and I are stones that God brings together. Now, for your viewing pleasure, I brought a couple of stones, uh, bricks actually, and if you notice, they're not quite identical, and yes, they need to be cleaned, Um, and this one doesn't quite fit together with this one, so part of the picture has to be that whoever is going to put these two stones together has to eliminate some of the rough edges. In order for this two stones to be brought together, and also has to do some cleanup. Okay, do you get the picture? <laughs> you and I are stones in His building, and we have rough edges, which means that in order for God Almighty with His power and His mercy, to bring us together into his spiritual building, he has to file down some of the rough edges. Now, as you can imagine, this is not a particularly pleasant prospect, not a real fun process, which means we, um, we, we uh, fuss with the Almighty about his plans. We uh, We endeavor to complain to him and tell him that He frankly doesn't know what he's doing in putting us together. Because if he really knew what he was doing, he would not put us together with those who rub us the wrong way. However, the Lord, in his infinite wisdom, unlike our wisdom, which is very finite, God brings us together in order to build the kind of building that he wants. We see the same expression in Ephesians 2.21, in whom the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. This is Ephesians 2.21 and then 2.22, in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now I know this can be somewhat mystical and there are parts of it that are, but there are parts that are fairly Realistic. Um, When we come together to worship God, what does Yeshua tell us where he is? If two or more of you come together in my name, there I am in your midst. We are his spiritual building. And by the way, the word for building in Greek there has the idea not just of a physical building, but really of a household. Something that is organic. Organic that fits and works together. And by the way, the New Testament is full of these together words. God does work that brings us together, that unites us together. Remember the last few weeks we've been talking about unity, practical unity, what it means for us to be one, to serve together to further the purposes that God has to do his work. Now, part of what Paul is saying in Ephesians 2.21 there is that this is something God is doing all the time. In other words, he's not asleep. He is not going to on a skiing trip. He is at work continually fashioning his building, you and I. And if God has called you to Yeshua Atzion, that's part of the process. And we are under construction. And yes, it takes time to unfold. And we often don't get it. And so we have to pray with a great deal of humility. Lord, would you please open my eyes and unplug the ears so that I can see what you're doing and hear from you. So we're Stones in God's building, but we're also workers because God is the master builder and the architect. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, you are God's building. Now that sounds kind of confusing. Okay, we can kind of get The fact that we are God's building, but then we're also God's workers at the same time. Well, what does that mean? That means that God calls you and I to work with him. Can you imagine that? None of us, absolutely none of us is worthy really fits the bill to work with God, yet yet God beckons to us. He he summons us. He he gets our attention one way or the other. And if we are slow and uh, backwards, um, as sometimes has been the case, um, no worries. God can get a hold of you. God can somehow communicate through those titanium plates. Of course, none of you have those. I'm referring to myself. And over a period of time, he gets our attention so that we understand that we are to work under his overall plans, under his blueprints, in humility and simply endeavor to carry out the assignments that he puts before us. Now, just like being fitted together is extremely frustrating, serving God can be very frustrating. Why? Because we're convinced that we know what what we're doing. And if you've worked for a boss who doesn't communicate much, You want to tell him what's going on and explain to him what he should be doing. We somehow feel that way about the Lord. Lord, we don't understand why you want me to do this instead of do that. Well, since we're not God and we don't have the blueprints, what the Lord calls us to do is simple humility, simple faithfulness, pursue what he's put before us. And this is something that Yeshua teaches us and it's not a quality that really comes naturally to us. It's not a quality that is something that's very valued in our society. That is faithfulness. Yeshua said to the servant in the parable of the talents, good and f- wise and faithful servant. You've been faithful in Few things, and I will put you in charge of many coming to your master 's joy. so does God have things for you to do? You bet has God been calling you into into his field of endeavor, into his building? you bet, and at the same time, God is forming you and I into into his Building, not for our purposes, but for His. And at the end of the day, the goal for, for for us is to see that God is honored, and our ego is put on back burner. And that's another tough one. You know, when you do things, you do things well, you work hard and you're diligent you want to receive all kinds of affirmation. You know, you did, you did well, you did great. And if you are willing to be God's servant, to be, building, to be builders in his building, you learn to say, Lord, it's not about me, it's all about you. Yeshua says, come into your master's joy. That's what it's all about. You learn to, to realize that you and God Almighty are fellow partners, and that gives you great joy and great peace. Let's pray. Lord, we bless you, and we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord God that you choose to dwell with us and that you fit us together to make a building that is pleasing to you and at the same time Lord that you invite us to work in the process of construction Lord and Abba Father you know we often don't understand it We, we don't always agree or like but Lord God we uh, desire to see that you receive the top billing and we simply Lord God want to understand your instructions for us we want to see your building built and we want to see your name And your reputation, Lord, spread to other people. Lord God, we thank you and bless your name. In the name of Yeshua. Amen.